0: welcome to the modern jewish girl podcast i am jenna lawyer by training writer and teacher by choice originally from new york i am a proud wife and mother living in los angeles join me as we delve into the holy torah's teachings and apply them to our lives i keep it short and sweet but always deep welcome This week, we're going to be talking about Purim, which is beginning on Thursday night and Friday. And if you're in Jerusalem, we also celebrate on Sunday. It's a unique year. So there's so much to speak about with Purim. There is so much depth. And what I want to do is give a quick summary of the Purim story, and then we'll get into some of the deeper lessons that we can take with us. Okay, so the Purim story takes place in the Persian Empire in the 4th century BCE, which at the time was a massive empire, expanding over 127 lands. And all of the Jews lived in the empire. King Akashverosh married into royalty. He married Queen Vashti and he had a big banquet. And a lot of Jews went to this banquet because they felt they had to out of fear of the king. They felt we have to fit in and show that we're part of society, but really we're meant to embrace our unique role as Jewish people. And when we do that is when Hashem protects us. The telltale sign that the Jews should not have been at this party was that the king was using vessels, holy vessels from the temple, which had been destroyed in Jerusalem for his own hedonistic party. So basically he got super drunk and at this party, he wanted Queen Vashti to appear naked and she refused. And so he had her killed. And then he decided he was going to have a beauty pageant to find a new queen. So throughout the entire empire, He happens to choose a girl who did not want to be picked, who did not try in any way, Esther, who found favor in his eyes and became the new queen, although she did not tell him that she was Jewish. Meanwhile, his right-hand man, Haman, who was basically like the prime minister of the empire, was a big anti-Semite, and he would have everybody bow down to him. And Mordecai, who was the leader of the Jews at the time and Esther's cousin, he Mordecai would not bow down to Haman, and Haman was so angry. He didn't care that he had all of the prestige and the honor and riches, and he did not have Mordecai bowing down to him. So what did he do? He convinced the king to issue a decree ordering the extermination of all of the Jews. And when he was trying to get the king to agree, he said to him, there's one nation scattered and separate among all the nations. And what the Torah tells us we're going to get into is that Haman knew that the Jews were kind of divided amongst each other at this point in history, and so they were vulnerable to attack, and that way he could be successful. How did Haman decide which day to exterminate the Jewish people? He threw lots. He created a lottery dictated by chance, or what he thought was chance, which landed on the 13th of Adar, which is the day we celebrate Purim. And actually, the word Purim means lots in ancient Persian. But we're gonna, what we're going to see is that nothing about this story is random or by chance at all. It was totally orchestrated by Hashem. So what happens? Mordecai hears the news that all of the Jews in the empire are going to be killed. And he immediately runs to Esther and tells her, you have to go see the king. And she explains that anyone who goes to the king without being summoned first is risking death. And what he says back to her is one of my favorite lines in the Megillah and Megillah Esther, which we read every Purim on Thursday night and Friday. And this line has always stuck with me. It's so powerful. He says to Esther, do not think that you will escape the fate of all the Jews by being in the king's palace. For if you will remain silent at this time, relief and salvation will come to the Jews from another source. And you and the house of your father will be lost. And who knows if it is not for just such a time that you reach this royal position. So with those words, Esther agreed to go see the king. She risked her life for the Jewish people. But what did she tell Mordecai? She said, gather the Jews in Shushan, in the city, and everyone's going to fast for three days and nights, including me. And at that point, I will go see the king. So she goes, and he does extend his, his golden scepter to her, so her life is spared. And she requests that the king and Haman come to a royal feast that she will prepare. And at that feast, she tells them to come back the next night for another feast. So the next night, she basically tells King Achashverosh that she's Jewish and that Haman's plotting to wipe out all of her people. And during this time, right before Haman had come to the last banquet, he had arranged gallows to hang Mordecai. His plan was to get Mordecai hung. And in the end, King Achashverosh ended up hanging Haman on the gallows that he had made for Mordecai. Talk about irony. (laughs) There's so much irony in the Perm story, it's crazy. So then, Mordecai is appointed prime minister, and a new decree is issued granting the Jews the right to defend themselves against their enemies, which they do. Because the king had issued a decree, he couldn't revoke it—the one that Haman had issued in in the king's name. So he had to issue another decree that allowed the Jews to defend themselves. But ultimately, the Jews were spared; their lives were spared. And so, Perm is a day, on the simplest level, where we're celebrating the fact that the Jews were saved. But in all of the joyousness that's going on and all of the drinking, there's something much deeper that we're actually celebrating, which is what I want to discuss now. God is not mentioned even once in the entire Megillah, in the entire Perm story. And Esther's name actually means hidden. Her name is actually alluded to in the Torah when God says, and I shall surely hide my face. But the illusion of God's hiddenness is what makes the perm story so powerful because the events seem like natural coincidences guided by politics and things of that nature. But in reality, God is actually orchestrating every detail of our national and personal lives beyond our wildest imagination. If you look at Megillus Esther, you will see there are so many pieces that had to fall into place just so, the way they did, so that the Jews could be saved. The fact that Queen Vashti was killed, the fact that there was a pageant, the fact that Esther was chosen, a Jewish woman, to be the queen of Persia, and there's so much more. Haman is actually a descendant of the nation Amalek. And Amalek is an anti-Semitic nation, which we've spoken about takes different forms throughout Jewish history in different nations, but they basically exist to say that everything is coincidence and everything is random. Actually, it's very interesting. The root of the name Haman is first seen in the very beginning of the Torah when Adam eats from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And Hashem says, did you eat from the forbidden tree? It's in that question that we see the root name Haman. And basically it's signaling that Haman is part of the nation of Malik, which introduces doubt into the world, doubt that there's a God who is orchestrating events. Rabbi Kiva Tatz explains that the Jewish people exist for the exact opposite reason, to reveal Hashem's presence in the world, despite the doubt that exists. And he has a really beautiful quote in his book, World Mask, which I highly recommend that I'm going to read now. It's such a great quote. A Amalek comes to mask reality. We strive to unmask it. Purim is the time of masks. Hashem has gone into hiding in Jewish history. He has donned a mask, but he is not distant. If one is distant, he does not need a mask to avoid being identified because the distance achieves that. No, a mask is necessary when one is very close and yet wishes to remain hidden. Pretty, pretty powerful stuff. And I mean, we can all relate to this in in the world of COVID because if you're standing 30 feet away from somebody, you don't need to put your mask on. It's only when you're standing within six feet of somebody that you really want to put your mask on to, to keep that separation. When I was in Israel six years ago, and I had just met my husband, I think we'd gone on about four dates at this point, but I was very sure we were going to get married I attended a Shabbaton with Shira Smiles as the guest speaker. Shira Smiles is an amazing Torah teacher, and she was speaking about Purim, which was the upcoming holiday. It was exactly this time. She was explaining how in life, a lot of times, events will seem random, disconnected, and totally dictated by the physical world. But in reality, Hashem is orchestrating everything that happens to us, and sometimes we can't see it, but sometimes we are able to get a glimpse and see Hisham's hand in our lives. And her words hit home so strongly at that point in my life where I had such clarity and things were coming together so beautifully that I was was brought to tears. I literally had to walk out of the room and go to a bathroom. Thank God no one was in there. But I was crying tears of such joy because I felt that I was standing on like a mountain and able to see the trajectory of my life and seeing all of the disappointments and the rejection and the confusion that I had gone through, times of real darkness. And now I'm sta- I was standing in a place of light and I was able to see why all of those things had to happen to bring me to that bathroom in Jerusalem, recognizing that I had met my soulmate. And if all those things had not happened, I wouldn't be in that exact place at that exact time meriting that blessing. So one of the main lessons of Purim is that even though we live in a world where things seem to be dictated by natural events, science, politics, everything in the physical world, ultimately Hashem's hidden hand is orchestrating everything down to the smallest detail on both a national level and a personal level. And this is really the symbolism behind the custom of dressing up on Purim, where we're showing that nothing in this world is what it seems to be. The Torah tells us we live in a world of hiddenness. And Hashem, we've spoken about this, Hashem pulls himself back in this world so that he can give us free will. It's a necessary thing, but we have to understand that underneath the physical reality is a spiritual reality where Hashem is very much present. On Purim, we also give tzedakah to the poor. And we also give mashallah mano, like gift baskets of food to friends. And this is all done to enhance Jewish unity. So the question is, what does Jewish unity and loving other Jews have to do with Purim? When we were at Mount Sinai, the Torah tells us that the Jewish people stood together as one man with one heart. And Rabbi Emmanuel Bernstein has a book called "Perm: Removing the Mask, a great book where he brings down this idea that. Hashem only resides within the Jewish people when we are one. And when we're scattered, we're vulnerable to attack. When we're divided amongst ourselves, we're vulnerable to attack, as we discussed before when I was telling the Perm story. So he says, basically, when Haman was trying to destroy us, and he knew we were vulnerable because we were separate, but because of the extermination decree the Jewish people were able to put aside their differences and unify and turn to Hashem what did we do we fasted we did chuva we repented we prayed a lot to and actually perm is an extremely powerful day for prayer and in this merit we were saved so rabbi Bernstein says another irony in the perm story is that in trying to destroy us because we were separate, Haman actually brought the Jewish people together in unity, which was our salvation. So these, these gifts that we give Mishal Ahmana on Purim and giving to the poor, all of these things are done to enhance our unity and our love of each other even more. Let's sum up. Purim is a holiday where we celebrate our salvation from Haman's evil plot to wipe out the Jews. We dress in costumes to symbolize the fact that in this world, things are not always as they seem. Specifically, although we seem to live in a world dictated by the laws of natural order, our lives are in fact orchestrated by Hashem himself, who hides himself behind a mask to preserve our free will. And it's our job as Jews to see behind the mere physical, to unmask reality. We also give sedaka to the poor and gift baskets to friends to enhance friendship and Jewish unity, as it was our separateness which made us vulnerable to annihilation and our unity in doing tshuva, repentance, and prayer, which actually redeemed us. I bless us that this Purim we're able to come closer to each other and closer to Hashem. Have a Chag Sameach and enjoy. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please subscribe to the podcast and share. And if you could write a review on Apple Podcasts, I would be so grateful. Take care.